I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastek. Bobby Ann Mason's short story, Live Hang, in our spring issue, is the story of two friends and their families who come from different worlds. Dave and Miguel meet in the gutting room of the chicken processing plant in their town. Both are working class, but Dave and his wife Trish are white and U.S. citizens, while Miguel and his wife Maria are undocumented immigrants from Mexico. Even though their jobs diverge eventually, Dave uses a connection to get a job installing satellite dishes, while Miguel is promoted to the more dangerous but better-paying live hang room, their lives become intertwined. Dave's wife, Trish, hires Miguel's wife, Maria, to help out with the kids, And then both families try to figure out what to do when the threat of deportation looms and Miguel and Maria fear being separated from their new baby. The story is set a few indeterminate years ago, but it's incredibly topical, especially given the recent news about ICE arresting children in hospitals, separating families, detaining the single parents of disabled kids, and more than ever, raiding workplaces that are willing to hire undocumented immigrants like the chicken processing plant. Bobby Ann Mason talked to us about writing the story, her process, and her approach to social issues in her work. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. So what was the inspiration for the story? I actually, this story I, I wrote almost 15 years ago. Oh, wow. I revised it off and on over the years, but it was basically the story. And... Um, I don't know how it began. I think it was probably the notion that uh, some Mexican undocumented uh, workers were afraid of um, deportation, obviously, and they were afraid of their families being broken up. Um, So um, someone told me about an instance where the family sent the baby back to Mexico to live with the grandparents because they were afraid that if they got deported, the baby would be kept in the U.S. by the U.S. authorities because the baby was born in the U.S. So that intrigued me. I don't know what step I took next. It was a long time ago, but 
You don't need to know a lot to to write a story. What's amazing is I'm I'm honestly really surprised that you started to write this story 15 years ago because it's so topical today, which is I think one of the reasons why we we ran it, of course. I mean, how much revision did you have to do? How many details did you have to change or is sort of the situation facing immigrants similar enough 15 years ago when you were writing it compared to to 5 years ago? I did not link the the story with the contemporary situation at all. In fact, I make the this happen over 5 years ago, 5 6 years ago. So, uh it did not depend on anything going on today, but I think it's it shows that this has been this fear and the situation with undocumented immigrants has been around for a long time. Right. And ICE's crackdown on undocumented immigrants has been much in the news since Trump was elected, but Obama and Bush built boundaries and deported millions of people. So these policies aren't new, but we forget that. I think that one one thing I understood was that uh, everybody in the story is rather vague about what the law is. I think I think probably there were and are a lot of misinterpretations because if you're an immigrant and you're smuggling yourself across the border somehow without knowing the language, your understanding of U.S. law is going to be um, shaky. <laughs> and uh, I I had the feeling that the people in the story didn't have a full grasp of it. And neither did I, really, and or did I know exactly what it was five years ago or even when I wrote this story. Yeah, and in the story, Americans aren't clear on the law either. The story is told from the perspective of Dave and Trish, American citizens, who are similarly vague on the law and are sort of astonished, A, that there are no protections, and B, that, you know, you would have to go to these lengths. It's it's amazing to see how like uninformed everybody is. Yeah, and uh, I think the American couple, they want to help, and, and they feel naive, and they are naive, um, but their basic impulse is to be friends and to help. So we've got these parallel couples, both working class, one U.S.-born American citizens, one undocumented Mexican immigrants. Dave and Miguel start out working in the same job at the same chicken plant, but eventually their paths diverge. Besides their statuses, I mean, how else does difference play out between these two guys in the story? Miguel is so much more, um, he has a better disposition than, than Dave. Dave, Dave is um, self-conscious. He's, he's worried about the blisters on his fingers. And so Miguel seems much more uh, apt for hard this hard job and challenging job um and dave envies him but dave is the lucky one who can use a connection to to get out of there and but miguel doesn't complain because he's he's sacrificed a lot to get there and he's earning more than he ever had so um the, the this is another contrast between between the two worlds. Hmm. I'm always interested in stories like this that have the big drama, the big event in the background. 
or told in the past tense. In this story, I mean, a lot of the thrilling, exciting stuff, the crossing of the Rio Grande, how the baby actually crosses the border, it all happens on the side or is recounted by the characters. What appeals to you about having something more dramatic in the background and then using more domestic details in the foreground? Um, I don't know that I have a strategy or that it's that planned out. When writing a story, you follow the story. You don't, you don't follow your strategy. It never does me any good to have a fixed set of ideas that I have to get across or um, a notion that it has to be dramatic in a certain way or that it has to have a certain structure. Um, I just followed the characters in the story, when it's time for Dave, when Dave starts thinking about his friend he hasn't seen in a while, he remembers how Miguel told him about crossing the river and how he almost died in the Arizona desert. These are just elements of story. A, a story is, is trying to recreate what something is like or to discover what characters might do in a certain situation or what situation they might, by surprise, find themselves in. So a story evolves, at least for me. It doesn't start with any notion that I've got to accomplish a certain goal. I I just wanted to find out what it was like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And And you use characters and the dialogue between characters to hash out a lot of those questions about how to navigate the law or to give us enough exposition, basically, to get a handle on the legal situation at the same time as the characters. Mm. Trish asks Dave some questions about why Miguel and Maria want to send their baby back to Mexico. Miguel gives some backstory on Maria's situation. As you were revising, how did you balance that need for exposition with wanting to have a natural conversation? Well, the story was very hard to write, but um, as always in a story, I'm usually hung up on on details and like, well, would Trish say this at this point, and why is he talking to her in that tone? And um, uh, shouldn't Trish be paying more attention to the baby at this point? You know, I just read it over and over and try to pick up on things that seem false or not developed enough or... Um, maybe don't um, let us in far enough into the way the characters are um, thinking. It's it's more about making it real and making it believable. And that's just, it's it's always a matter of just refining the details. Dave is perplexed about why this woman would want to send her baby to um, Mexico and he he tries to work this out, and he remembers that he and Trish had had um, gone to California when they were young, and their child was born there. So he tries to imagine, well, what if we had sent her back to Kentucky to live with her grandparents, and we had stayed out in California to make money? How could we have done that, and why? Why would we do that? And so he's trying to puzzle out what these Mexican characters are thinking. Yeah, it seems like your process is really character driven. I mean, Dave isn't trying to relate Miguel's situation to broader political issues. And he doesn't even ask explicitly if deportation is 
moral, if it's right to do this. He just draws this parallel to his own life and the question of whether he would leave his kids in California. I, th I think Dave and Trish are in an economic bracket um, that puts the emphasis on what they can earn or whether they can afford a house and what they can provide for their, their young child. They're not educated about the political world, and they realize that they care for these Mexican people and they are taking a risk. But they think, well, we have to. It's, it's right to help them. Do you feel like if you'd set the story, I guess, in today's climate with, you know, Trish and Dave living in 2018 in rural Kentucky um, with undocumented acquaintances that the same kind of, I guess, remove would be possible? Uh, um, it seems like a story, the story might be more dramatic and might be more open to the political scene if it were set now. I don't know. I haven't written that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's not overtly a political story. It's sort of, um, I guess, a story of people who are impacted by certain political decisions and realities. Mm -hmm. um, has that been a subject in your work before? Have political issues been in the foreground or the background of your work? Not explicitly. I can think of two things I've written that draw on um, social issues. One is in Country, my novel about um, Vietnam veterans and and uh, the young girl whose father was killed in Vietnam before she was born. So as she comes of age, she starts asking questions about who he was. And, um, and at that time, this would be 1984, uh, she's 17, and Agent Orange was much in the news, and that plays a part, as well as the, the general situation the veterans find themselves in and the difficulties at home. So that novel, in that sense, was drew on political issues. Um, the other work that I can think of is An Atomic Romance, which is a novel. I drew my inspiration for that from a situation in western Kentucky, my home region, and this happened in Paducah. And uh, the Washington Post had published an expose of uh, plutonium contamination at uh, a uranium enrichment facility that was a, a relic of the days of making fuel for atomic bombs. So it was a huge story, and the plant was brought into question. And I wrote a nonfiction piece of reporting about it for The New Yorker. And, um, and then from there, I just got my inspiration to write a whole novel about a character who worked at a place like that. And I didn't make it in Paducah because I thought it would should be some indeterminate place in the middle of the country because it it could be anywhere the plutonium contamination and and atomic waste and um I was interested in why people worked there without complaining and why they accepted so many risks. 
it's interesting that you tackle the same, well, not exactly the same, but a very similar subject from both nonfiction and fiction angles. Do you feel like you were able to get at different ideas or themes in each of them? Well, it was different. Um, I tend to write nonfiction in a kind of fiction-like way, but in a kind of convoluted way rather than straightforward journalism. So I just thought there was a different door and to go through to to tell what what was going on there. It was very hard to to pin down anybody to blame in the, in the real story, but in the fiction I could go into the characters and what they thought and and what the place was like and what it was like to work there and what it was like to go camping in the wildlife refuge where wastewater had saturated the ground for decades. So um, the, it, it's always more satisfying to me to go into the fictional frame of mind. What makes it more satisfying? Um, it's, it's really basically what you can do with language and how you mm-hmm. can play with words and uh, um, through words find um, clues to how people are feeling and uh, what they will put up with and who they're in love with and um, what their dog is like. <laughs> so you can fashion a believable world that has this traumatic thing going on in it and find out how people are responding and how they relate to each other. To read Live Hang, Bobby Ann Mason's short story, go to our episode page, where we will also have links to other stories about the lives of undocumented immigrants in the States, including a deep dive from This American Life into chicken processing plants, as well as one of my favorite stories from T.C. Boyle, The Fugitive. That's it for Smarty Pants this week. We'll see you next time with a scathing takedown of Silicon Valley. Till then, take care and stay sharp. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.